Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Player? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. My name is Tom Tate. I'm your host and guide, taking you on a journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. So join me as we travel back to June of 1991 to soak in the magazine, the memories, the music, and most importantly, all those fantastic games from the Nintendo and Super Nintendo era. We have an epic episode today. I'm really, really excited. Jam-packed full of content. Uh, the Battletoads issue of Nintendo Power, which we'll be covering, is full of amazing features, and they cover Battletoads pretty extensively. I also have a few clips from an interview that I did with Chris C.J. Johnston of the Player One Podcast. He hosts one of my favorite podcasts. I never miss a week for this show. I was really, really honored to have him come on a Power Time and uh, talk a little bit about the Super Nintendo. He has a really, really interesting story. We'll cover a little bit and a few clips in this episode, and then next week, I'll air the full interview. We have plenty of music from various tribute artists, so I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right in to this issue of Nintendo Power. So this is volume 25, issue number 25 of Nintendo Power. It is covering Battletoads, Croker, Capers. Plus, we have NES Open Tournament Golf. Win a golf cart. That's amazing. So we have a cool call to action here to win a golf cart. We have Game Boy Hunt for Red October. I guess that's the big title that we'll be covering. Uh, Down at the bottom of this particular cover, we have the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. We have the Nintendo seal of quality, but the real focus on this cover is the two mutant toads with their exaggerated fists and exaggerated boots. As they're punching and kicking their way through enemies, this of course is Battletoads by Rare. It's one of the most uh, popular games, I think, for the NES. Definitely an iconic game that is very memorable in most cases for its extreme difficulty. We'll be talking more about that. Uh, just a few notes here. Nintendo Power still $3.50 in the United States and $4.50 in Canada. Haven't really seen much price fluctuation there. Uh, and the colors on this, yeah, obviously we have the green and yellow of the toads, but there's a lot of kind of hot purple Uh, purplish color, so very 90s, of course, as we've uh, seen over the past couple of issues. And as we flip open the cover and we take a look at Powerline, which is kind of the summary of what's going to be in this issue, uh, we learn something that's kind of sad news for Nintendo fans. The famous game master, Howard Phillips, leaves Nintendo to go work at Lucasfilm Games. The parting of Howard and Nintendo, it seems really amicable in this particular blurb. Of course, he was featured as uh, Howard from the Howard and Nestor comics. Uh, If you dig deep into the history of Nintendo, he was very much there from the beginning uh, with Nintendo's days in the United States. Uh, And it's kind of of a bummer. Uh, He's reviewed many of the games. He's a key figure. Uh, He's definitely iconic. Back in the early days of Nintendo Power, you see his picture, him wearing his iconic bow tie, uh, and he was kind of a key figure. Uh, So it's, it's sad to see Howard Phillips 
leave Nintendo Power. We'll talk a little bit about that throughout this issue and towards the end of this episode. Uh, But just a quick note here that it is teased in the beginning. It is an amicable split. Uh, Powerline also states that we'll hear from other editors and writers behind the scenes now. And Nestor will continue in a new comic strip where he flies solo. So the world will continue without Howard Phillips uh, helming Nintendo Power as the game master uh, and will continue to follow along. We also have a note here discussing the Battletoads review, the reveal of the Super Nintendo at the summer CES show, uh, which is kind of the highlight of our Chris Johnston interview and plenty more. So stick around. This is going to be a fun, fun episode. The table of contents, of course, we have Battletoads. This is a huge, huge chunk of the issue. We'll take a little bit of a look at NES Open Tournament Golf, Daydreaming Davy, Howard and Nestor comic, of course. Uh, we have now playing Pack Watch, a couple of Game Boy games, and then, of course, the Top 30 Super NES preview. There's a lot in this issue, uh, and we're just going to breeze right through it. You played every Mario game. You conquered every Mario game. You think you've mastered all there is to know about Mario. Well, you better think again. New Super Mario World, made possible by the power of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. You've never faced the challenge of so many enemies, so many obstacles, so many levels. You've never needed help from a dinosaur before. Super Mario World, you get it only with a Super NES. It's part of the growing lineup of games for the next generation from Nintendo. You've got to play it. You've got to have it. You've got a reputation. Now you're playing with power. Super power. So typically, this is where we jump right into the featured game, in this case, Battletoads. But before we jump into Battletoads, I want to quickly talk about Nintendo Power's four-page preview and introduction to the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. 1991 is, of course, the year that the Super Nintendo is released in the United States. They've been teasing the Super Famicom for a while. But here we see a beautiful two-page layout with this SNES. Uh, So it says SNES in the center uh, in a nice neon blue haze of awesomeness. Uh, This is a very, again, 90s image, but it's beautiful. We have two controllers, one on both sides. The article reads, static photographs cannot reveal the impression of depth that is given by multiple scrolling backgrounds. They say seeing is believing, and with the Super NES, that old adage really holds true. Nintendo reveals some tech specs. We have a 16-bit CPU with 128K RAM and 64K video RAM. We have an 8-bit APU or audio processing unit for digital CD quality sound. So a lot of these might sound like crazy tech specs that people don't care about, but Nintendo has actually done a good job in this past uh, six or seven issues of Nintendo Power talking about what's under the hood in the NES. So things like the CPU, RAM, video RAM, That might not be that foreign for people who are avid readers of Nintendo Power. They've done a good job talking about the tech. Lance Barr designed the exterior design of the console beginning in July of 1990, and he's quoted here in this article. He says, with video game systems, there really aren't any expectations yet of what they should look like. So design considerations are pretty open. Most people are more concerned with the software that's available for the system. The one directive from Nintendo of America They wanted a product that didn't look like a toy. So this was kind of the core tenet of Lance Barr's design for the Super Nintendo. So fun fact here, the curvature of the cartridge loading bay on the Super Nintendo was to indicate that people should feel safe interacting with that area, but also to prevent people from placing spillable beverages on it. 
And this is really, really interesting. And I never really thought about this before, but the NES was really flat. So maybe they had issues where people would constantly be spilling things because they would be putting cold or hot beverages on top of the console. So this one uh, interesting line here in the article, for the same reason Lance put the ventilator grill on the back of the Super NES rather than on top, he also made the bottom of the unit flat so it can be stacked with other components, for instance, the CD-ROM unit currently being developed jointly by Nintendo and Sony. So this is really, really interesting. I knew about this Sony-Nintendo-CD-ROM uh, Super Nintendo collaboration. Uh, and if you read Console Wars and a couple other great books, they talk about it. But I actually had no idea until I read this that this was public, that they really talked about this uh, this frequently. I know they probably talked about it at a few conferences and trade shows, uh, but the fact that it was in Nintendo Power, I had no idea. Uh, I thought this was kind of a behind closed doors type of project at this time. So really interesting stuff that you uncover as you go back and read through Nintendo Power. There's some notes here on how the controller changed from the Super Famicom controller to add the convex and concave button variation. Uh, still a noticeable difference between the Super Nintendo controller and the Famicom controller is you have those two button styles. Uh, and a lot of people favor the Super Nintendo style. Uh, some notes about graphics, better resolution, RGB, and Super VHS TV compatibility. I don't even know what Super VHS TVs uh, were back in the day. Uh, greater color palette, color layering, and more effects. Uh, again, a lot of Super FX style uh, preludes here. Real-time scaling and scrolling background at different speeds and how that gives you the feeling of depth. And it mentions here that you, know, you may find as many as 128 moving objects on a screen at a time. So we're talking a lot about the different capabilities that the Super Nintendo has that the Nintendo just quite frankly didn't have at the time. Oh, and it also mentions here that the sprites can be bigger. So it specifically calls out to expect bigger bosses, which is pretty cool. There are some awesome prototype illustrations here. It definitely showcases the signature uh, SNES purple in two of them. So the color selection uh, was definitely made, it seems, at an early stage. Uh, but one has that NES red and gray. So it looks like with this one design, it's the logical next iteration of the NES. Uh, but of course, they went in a different direction. And then finally, we have a note here about the sound again. Uh, CD quality audio is possible. Uh, I, I never really thought that, you know, but uh, we certainly do get really good audio quality on the Super Nintendo. And here it says that you can actually program actual voices. And the quote here is, imagine a Batman game in which cinema scenes don't have subtitles, but the actual voices of Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. And it's pretty true. So in the coming issues, we'll reveal more and more about the Super Nintendo. I'm really excited. Great era of Nintendo history. Uh, mostly information that is shared at the summer Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. That's kind of the next wave of details that we'll get about the Super Nintendo. And as I mentioned earlier, I had the absolute pleasure of talking with someone who actually attended that show, who actually attended CES in Chicago back in 1991. And he happens to be one of my favorite podcast hosts, uh, Chris Johnston, uh, CJ of the Player One podcast. And he's been podcasting for years. And he's also served as an editor and a games journalist for much of his career. Uh, so I'll give the full bio if you listen to the full interview uh, next episode. Uh, but I, I just want to tee up just a few quick quotes from this interview just to share his experience of the Super Nintendo reveal at the CES uh, show in Chicago. I was uh, actually in a summer program 
at our local cable access channel. They had like a teens learning how to use the equipment at the uh, the <laughs> local access channel sort of class in the summer, and I took that, and uh, that led me to get a media badge for the 19, 1991 Summer Consumer Electronics Show, which was nice. Do you have any first impressions that you remember kind of walking walking into Nintendo's space and, and seeing what they had on display? Yeah, I remember going in. They had sort of a an inner dome area where they had Super Mario World running on a bunch of different stations. And I remember playing it and thinking it looked super awesome and was exactly the sort of evolution of Mario that I wanted at that time. And then, of course, right across the aisle, there was Sega with the Genesis and the Sega CD, and that was uh, awesome, too. Actually, I think maybe they just had Sonic that year. Um, that was the big thing. And I played that at the show and loved the colors and the blast processing. And uh, I was I was taken in by that as well. But Nintendo's display, especially looking at the the boxy Super NES for the U.S. market, uh, it was it was super impressive. And it it was uh, it was great because it was my first E3 or first CES. And uh, I was seeing all of these things before anybody else. And it. It uh, it felt awesome. It's like I'd been reading about all this stuff, and uh, suddenly here it is right in front of me. It was great. So I want to say thanks again to CJ uh, for his time, and definitely stay tuned for that full interview next episode. You don't want to miss it. Talk about a lot of interesting things. Of course, more about the Super Nintendo. And listen to Player One Podcast. It is one of the best podcasts, and I'll drop a link in the show notes for you to check that out. Uh, it's one of the shows that I just absolutely do not miss every single week. So now it is time. Uh, let's get wild with a couple of crazy toads. This is it. We've been psyched about the Battletoads since we first heard about them. Now that Rare and Trade West are ready to cut loose with Battletoads, only Nintendo Power will give you complete maps and Toad tactics to take you to the Dark Queen's Tower and beyond. This is Battletoads. So we just heard Mega Beardo's rendition of the Battletoads theme song, and it is amazing. I love this rendition, and I love everything that Mega Beardo does. So check that out at Beardo Music. Bandcamp.com. Full link in the show notes directly to the Battletoads track if you want to listen to that. And we open up this review with a quick look at the Battletoads themselves. We have Pimple, Zitz, and Rash. And they look like three toads with an attitude. You know, we have three mutant toads. One is definitely more buff than the others, uh, holding an axe. Uh, we have one with sunglasses, and then we have one with kind of dark gloves and, again, these exaggerated fists. And they all kind of have these studded uh, knee pads. So they are very interesting characters. Definitely something you'd expect to see on Saturday morning cartoons back in 1991. 
We have the game pack data box, which will showcase the score for the game. Again, this was published by Trade West. Uh, the power meter, we have graphics and sound 4.3, play control 4.1, challenge and excitement 3.9, and theme and fun 4.6. So a very highly rated title uh, for the NES here with Battletoads. And this review is 36 pages long. This is one of the longest reviews that I've seen to date in Nintendo Power, and we're going to cover it all. We're going to cover it all in this episode because there's so much great content, and uh, this is one of the greatest games, if not one of the most challenging games that you might play on the Nintendo. So there's 12 levels to explore, and there's a map here to show your progression. So there's kind of an overview of all of the levels that you see in the game, and it'll showcase kind of where you are as you progress to the Dark Queen's Tower, which is the last kind of main challenge in this game. We learn about the different moves the Toads can do. Uh, there is Kiss My Fist, uh, in which case we see one of the Toads throwing a punch. We have Take Out the Trash, in which case we see that you can pick up your enemies and throw them. We have Big Bad Boot, uh, which of course involves kicking your enemies. And then we have kind of crushing your enemies uh, with two fists, and that is Nuclear Knuckles. Uh, so again, lots of attitude uh, when it comes to defeating enemies as the Battletoads. We also learned that Battletoads has a two-player mode, uh, which was always a lot of fun back in this day. Uh, and then we get right into the walkthrough. So the first stage is Ragnarok Canyon. This is a fairly straightforward stage. There's some really cool elements though. So let's see if you remember playing through Battletoads. So think back as I describe some of these stages and see if you can recall actually playing this game. You probably recall the, the early stages uh, because you played them so many times and they were so challenging. You had to play them that many times to get good at them. So Ragnarok's Canyon or Ragnarok Canyon. Uh, this is a canyon stage. So the texture of the stage and the backgrounds, it's rocky and mountainous. Uh, you start by descending from the SS Vulture on a rope. So there's kind of a mini cutscene, and immediately you start pounding on some bad guys. Uh, you see them and you start pounding on them. One of those is uh, called a walker. It's kind of a tall sort of creature. And when you defeat it, you can actually pick up one of its legs. It has these long stick legs. And when you defeat it, you can pick it up and it looks like a stick. And then you can use that as a weapon. So that's your first intro introduction to kind of one of the game mechanics here is that you can pick up items. You can pick up items that the enemies leave behind. There's also a section where you encounter flies, and this is kind of another game element that you learn of quickly, is that because you're a toad, you can face the flies, you can press A, and you can slurp them, and that actually replenishes your energy. So it certainly makes sense, and the game introduces you to that uh, mechanic pretty early on. There's also enemies in this level called dragons, and you can actually jump on the dragons and ride them. And you can make them blow fire too by pressing B, which is fun. And it's uh, helpful to obtain, there's a challenging one-up in this level. You might remember that. It's placed up really high. No matter what you do, you can't jump to reach it. You actually have to ride a dragon to go reach it. And if you learn that mechanic uh, through trying to obtain that one-up, uh, it's actually a pretty cool element of game design, you know, is to put something unattainable in front of you so that you have to explore and then eventually learn that you can ride the dragons. Then at the end of this level, there's a really fun boss fight with a giant walker. And the point of view of the level shifts to the cockpit of the enemy. So you're viewing yourself from the cockpit. And it's cool because the enemy is firing lasers and boulders at you. And to defeat it, 
you have to throw the boulders back at it and you're throwing it to basically the windshield of the cockpit. So there's a big crack that starts to form on the screen. I really enjoyed this as a kid, this idea that, you know, we're now seeing the game from a whole new perspective and uh, they really amplified that effect with that crack in the screen. After this level, we move on to the impact crater. This is another kind of unique and fun level. You probably remember this one as well. You're descending down the crater on a rope. You can swing back and forth. You can kick your enemies. Uh, you have to avoid obstacle uh, obstacles, of course, as you're doing this. And uh, one note here in the issue is that the toe traps are worth 500 points if you defeat them. And reading this in Nintendo Power reminded me that Battletoads had a point system. I feel like at this point in 1991, point systems were quite archaic, uh, but I guess I could be wrong. I'm not too sure. I know I, for one, didn't play for points back in this day, uh, but maybe a lot of people still did. Uh, definitely, you know, people who wanted to compete. And because this game was so challenging, I'm sure there was definitely a competitive uh, element to it back in the schoolyard, uh, back when you were you were, you were uh, young. So once you complete this and you descend uh, the impact crater, you hit the turbo tunnel. So the turbo tunnel is where the challenge of the game really starts to ramp up, especially for me. In this level, you are on kind of a speed bike. It looks like a jet ski and you have to navigate an obstacle course of jumps and enemies. The screen scrolls by really, really fast. And it's kind of one of those auto progressing stages. Uh, so you're kind of fixed in one area. You can move a little bit left and right, but really it's the screen that's scrolling uh, and obstacles and enemies are coming towards you. Uh, and there's a pattern that you can memorize and Nintendo Power maps out the entire pattern. So instead of just failing miserably at this level again and again and again, which is what I recall doing, uh, you can memorize the actual pattern. You can refer to it here at Nintendo Power and uh you can do that, but you still need really, really fast reflexes to get through it. Just because you memorize the pattern doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be a cakewalk. It's very, very challenging. After this, we get a two-page spread that is kind of a continuation of the Battletoads comics that we've been seeing in previous issues. So it's con continuing to showcase uh, the actual story of Battletoads. In this case, it's showing the progression through the levels we just learned about. So it's, again really building up this idea that the Battletoads are not just a new video game, but an established franchise, which wasn't the case. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Next up is the Ice Cavern. This is a cool environment where you have to traverse both up and down. So you're you're not just going uh, side, you're not just side scrolling, you're going up and down uh, throughout this level. Uh, you're breaking walls with ice blocks. Uh, this is a really good stage, but we've got so many stages to cover. So we're going to keep things moving. And before we check out the next level, Let's listen to one of the best songs, in my opinion, from the soundtrack and maybe one of the best songs from any soundtrack on the Nintendo. So we'll be right back after we check out this quick song.
I love that song. That is the theme from our next stage that we'll be discussing, which is Surf City. That was performed by an amazing musician from Russia in Rudiment. And rudiment.bandcamp.com is the site if you want to check it out. Again, I will have a full link in the show notes uh, so that you can go support this awesome music. This is another one of those automatically progressing stages, just like the turbo tunnel. Here, instead of being on jet skis, you're on a surfboard. Uh, and you have to defeat enemies while jumping over logs. Uh, in the middle of the stage, you take on Big Blag, uh, which is kind of this punk rock rat, this big fat punk rock rock uh, rat, uh, one of the kings of the Dark Queen's rodent army. So it's an interesting and fun boss battle, uh, definitely iconic and memorable in this game. Uh, and after that, you take on some more surfing obstacles, and then it's on to the Snake Pit. So the snake pit stage is very brutal, uh, very challenging. You have to navigate these big open areas, these big open rooms by riding on these snake creatures and you can walk on them while they're horizontal and then you can climb them uh, like climbing a tree while they're vertical. It's really, really challenging as I mentioned and it's interesting uh, because this to me felt like a unique type of level design that you end up seeing in other games. So if you remember this type of uh, level design from games prior to Battletoads, definitely let me know at Yo Power Time, Y-O Power Time. I'm just really curious if you remember this from other games, because I remember this from the fortresses in Super Mario World uh, with the uh, blocks that would kind of uh, go up and around through these big open rooms. And I wonder if they actually borrowed that uh, from Battletoads. I'm not sure if that's where that that level design came from. Uh, without the maps in Nintendo Power, you likely had to learn a lot about how to progress through the stage by dying and taking leaps of faith, which is really unfortunate, but that's how a lot of games worked back then. Almost unfair level design if you think about it, and it definitely lends itself to the term Nintendo hard, which you hear thrown around quite a lot. Next, we have another quick two-page spread. This is a comic to recap the levels that we just saw, again, kind of tying the narrative of the game back into it. After this is the Fire Zone, another auto-scrolling level where you pilot a rocket ship. Uh, this is called the Toad Plane. I didn't know that it had a name until I read this issue of Nintendo Power. You have to avoid projectiles, but the greater challenge here is fitting through these force field gaps. Now, if you had this game, uh, you absolutely remember this level if you made it this far. As you progress through the stage, the gaps get smaller and the speed increases dramatically. So you have to really go from you know the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen really, really fast. You need to have quick reflexes if you wanted to make it through this, this particular level. Uh, and this is one level that I personally will never forget playing. It's absolutely brutal. And I actually remember this fondly on the Game Boy version. I wonder if you actually get to this sooner on the Game Boy version. I'm not sure. Uh, which I also, I, I had that version as well as the NES one. And uh, it was probably even harder than Game Boy, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, after this, you hit the elevator shaft. Uh, this is a level that is very platforming heavy. Uh, you are traveling upward and upward, and there are plenty of obstacles like balls that roll at you, uh, gas uh, that gets kind of shot out at you, and a bunch of different projectiles and things like that. Uh, there's a jump, duck, and attack element to this stage. So there's a lot of ducking, uh, jumping over things. Uh, lots of precision required to make it through this one. And at the end, you face an enemy called Robo Manus. A very cool boss design 
here. And uh, there's a lot of cool character design in Battletoads, uh, as we'll talk about as well. Next is the Gargantua Ducts. Uh, so the description here, uh, the only way into the Gargantua, uh, which is a big ship, uh, is through a labyrinth of deadly pipes. The toads will have to outrace giant gears, precision swim between dangerous spikes, and battle frog-eating fish to make it through. This is another challenging level. Uh, after this, we have another comic interlude followed by the Gargantua, uh, which was the actual ship. Um, the Dark Queen has sent Scuzz to blow up the Gargantua with the battle toads inside. You'll have to beat him to the three self-destruct bombs through corridors that go straight to the core of the ship. So I abs- actually uh, never beat battle toads because of this level. It's because of the Gargantua, this stage that I never beat Battletoads. It's because you are racing against Scuzz, which is this mouse, and you have to be faster than him. You have to beat him to these bombs, otherwise the bombs self-destruct. And this was too challenging for me as a kid. It is too challenging for me now as an adult, uh, even cheating. So I'll talk a little bit about the Rare Replay title for Xbox One. It allows you to kind of cheat and rewind. It has a rewind feature, and I still could not beat this level. The challenge is just too high. It's too difficult for me. Um, so if you remember this level, definitely let me know uh, if you remember how brutal this was. And then the final two spreads here, we have uh, part two of the Gargantua, followed by the Dark Queen's Tower. So the Dark Queen's Tower, of course, is the last level. You literally climb three sections of a large tower. Similar to the elevator shaft level, uh, you're moving upwards and upwards and you're faced with a ton of challenges as you do so. Uh, Nintendo Power calls out 17 sections of the tower. So it is a very complex level. There are a lot of different areas where Nintendo specifically has to offer tips and guidance on how to proceed. Uh, There's one final comic spread here and then a two-page feature that really just wraps up the review and talks about how many more Battletoads games are in the works. So before this game was even released and out to uh, potential fans, they're already developing more and more of this franchise. And here's a direct quote from the issue. It's a little too early to tell how successful the Battletoads will be, both in their mission and in their popularity, but they have some big plans. A possible NES sequel, a Super NES game, and an arcade game are just a few of the things in the works. With a variety of gameplay tasks and the super challenge level in their first game, the Battletoads are sure to continue breaking new video ground. And then we have a little uh, little note here. Until then, stay mad, bad, and crazy. Keep checking Nintendo Power for Toad updates and tips that will add further frenzy to your Toad play. So we're going to check out one more track from Battletoads, and then we will talk about the history of this iconic game.
that was another cover by Enrudiment. This time it was Ragnarok's Canyon. I have a full link in the show notes uh, to support Enrudiment and check out his other tracks. He has a ton of awesome music, so I definitely recommend you check that out. So Battletoads was developed by Rare and published by Trade West in 1991. It was released in June of that year on the NES. Rare, of course, was founded by Chris and Tim Stamper. They were based in England. And then in the late 80s and early 90s, they were pushing out tons of Famicom and NES titles. Games like Slalom, RC Pro-Am, Snake Rattle and Roll, Marble Madness, Solar Jetman. There's a ton. And I'm sure if you go back and you take a look at, you know, the greatest hits on the Nintendo Entertainment System, you'd be somewhat surprised to see that a lot of them were from Rare. And I actually read in a few places that Rare worked on almost or possibly over 60 NES titles. So they certainly produced a ton. Uh, With Battletoads, the designers of the game consisted of Tim and Chris Stamper, as well as Greg Mayles. Uh, And Kev Bylas was the artist for the game. And then the composer was David Wise. And David Wise is famous for working on the Donkey Kong Country soundtracks. Uh, So you'll definitely remember a lot of the iconic tunes from Battletoads, but then also later in his career when he worked on Super Nintendo titles. By many accounts, this game is said to be a response to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles craze that we certainly talked about when talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode of Power Time, and then also talking about the TMNT arcade game a few issues back. It certainly has that same vibe, so I will definitely agree uh, that this seems to be a response or an inspiration from TMNT. Uh, The game has the Turtles arcade vibe. You know, it's a lot of uh, side-scrolling and punching and attacking and de- uh, defeating enemies and uh, little cutscenes in between. But there are so many differences and in a lot of ways that we've already discussed, mostly in gameplay. Uh, the Brash Toads are definitely similar to those Mutant Turtles in attitude, but I think that's about it, in my opinion. Because every level in Battle to- Toads feels really unique and different, whereas in Turtles the Arcade Game, uh, it's a little similar, a little repetitive. Uh, level by level. There's a really great video that I'm going to link to in the show notes that discusses the making of the game. And I'm going to definitely recommend that you check that out. I can't cover as much as I'd like to because I don't want this episode to be uh, an hour and a half long. Uh, But definitely check this out. Uh, Ken Bayless, who I mentioned earlier, I think I said Kev Bayless, it's Ken Bayless. Uh, He's an artist from Rare. He mentions that the game was inspired by the original Batman film in the sense that they wanted to design characters that they could create a ton of merch from. So it it almost sounds to me, I and if you listen to this video, it's clear that they're very passionate about Battletoads and they really appreciated the opportunity to make this game and they were invested in the game as a game to create an enjoyable game. But when you hear uh, him talk about this desire to create a franchise that would yield a ton of merch. It almost sounds like they went into Battletoads as as if they were designing a cash grab. Uh, and maybe they were. Uh, they don't explicitly say that, but they wanted Battletoads to be on everything. Uh, and I feel like in Nintendo Power, this exploration of the backstory through the comic strips in previous issues, and then also this one, it almost made the universe, the Battletoads universe, feel like it already existed, either in a cartoon that you never saw or action figures that you didn't have yet, or maybe a movie that was in production. It felt like this was an established world. They did a really great job working with Nintendo to do this, uh, to really establish this. But it, it definitely 
appears to be, and uh, it's certainly validated here in this video, that they were establishing a franchise that they wanted to be extended into merchandise and future games and really make a lot of money for Rare. Another designer is uh, Greg Mayles, and he said in this video that it was a typical example of Rare looking at what's popular and then putting an edgy spin on it. And this is really interesting that he said that because I find that Rare did this later on with their N64 titles. So if you take a look at Diddy Kong Racing, certainly taking a look at how uh, Mario Kart performed, uh, and then of course putting their own edgy spin on it. Banjo-Kazooie taking a look at how uh, Super Mario 64 performed and then putting their own edgy spin on it. And then uh, I think the pinnacle, of course, is Conker's, uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day, which was one of the foulest games on the N64, but of course one of the funnest games because it introduced that rare edge to the playful, uh, lovable platformers that we were used to playing on that console. So Battletoads, of course, was incredibly difficult. According to the interviews, the difficulty was by design. So Rare actually hoped to give players more value and extend the length of the game by making it more challenging. Games like this had a tendency to be short. So once you've figured out TMNT, the arcade game, for example, you could blaze through that pretty quickly, especially if you had a couple of players playing with you. So if you had two players, you could blaze through uh, TMNT pretty fast. But increasing the difficulty... On a game like Battletoads, it required you to play the game more so that you could get better and better over time, improve your skills, and then progress through the game. So it definitely did increase the longevity of the game uh, and definitely increased the playability. And if you were going to purchase a title, that's probably something I could appreciate uh, because if you're going to you know, ask for only one game for your birthday or one game for a holiday like Christmas... Uh, getting a game that you know that you can pour hours into uh, and progress at a slower pace, but still feel that progression, it makes sense. Uh, definitely, I can definitely understand how they built that by design. So anyways, uh, I'm going to link to a lot of great resources to dig deeper into the history of the game because uh, I just don't have that much time to invest. I don't want this to be a super long episode. So I do want to speak quickly to the legacy of Battletoads. The game was released on Game Boy, Mega Drive, Game Gear, and the Amiga CD32. Uh, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System sequel, Battletoads and Battle Maniacs, was pretty popular. And then, of course, Battletoads and Double Dragon was a crossover that no one ever saw coming. Uh, I think that had to do with the Trade West uh, connection there. And there's also a very unique arcade game that I don't recall playing, uh, but just watching a few videos, it looks pretty intense. I also learned in researching this episode that there was even a TV show pilot that was aired. Uh, but no series was actually picked up, just a pilot for this uh, this series. And they showed the episode a couple of times. You can probably find it online. And if you didn't know, uh, Microsoft now owns Rare. So Rare Replay was a title that was released on Xbox One, and it included a ton of Rare games, including Battletoads. I recommend you check out this version if you have an Xbox One because you can rewind the gameplay, as I mentioned earlier. And I still couldn't defeat the game with this functionality. It's it's that hard, but it definitely made the game more enjoyable, uh, a little less uh, unforgiving. And since Rare was acquired by Microsoft, they've been teasing the return of Battletoads a bit. So Phil Spencer is kind of a big name at Microsoft. He's been seen wearing a Battletoads shirt a few times. Uh, so that's always kind of an indicator that, hey, maybe they're working on something over at Rare. And the Toads have cameoed in Shovel Knight on Microsoft and PC. And... Uh, Killer Instinct. Uh, I think one of the Toads was a 
selectable character on Killer Instinct. Uh, so they're still around. It's not a completely dead franchise, uh, but there's no indication that Battletoads is coming back anytime soon. Uh, nothing announced. Let me know, though, if you want to see Battletoads return. Unfortunately for us Nintendo fans, we probably won't see it on a Nintendo console anytime soon uh, because Microsoft, of course, owns Rare. But what do you think? Uh, do you want to see another Battletoads? Uh, should we leave this franchise as is uh, in the history of our nostalgic uh, memories? Or should we stage a, re- a revival? Uh, do you want to see a revival of Battletoads? Definitely let me know. You can tweet me at Yo Powertime, Y-O Powertime on Twitter or email me at tom at powertimepodcast.com. We're going to bounce from the bog and keep this episode rolling. But first, one final track from the game. And I'm actually going to just play the intro again. Uh, Not from Mega Beardo, but this time from Playing With Power, uh, just because I love that track so much. And we will close out Battletoads. Again, that was playing with power uh, and their rendition of the intro to Battletoads. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes so that you can check it out. And uh, wow, this is stacking up to be a long episode. So we're going to blaze on through the rest of this issue's highlights. Uh, Not too much. We covered all the big stuff. Other featured games in this issue, we have NES Open Tournament Golf developed by Nintendo and receiving some very high scores. This is the second golf game that was produced by Nintendo for this console. There are a ton of options and courses in this version. You can register your name, choose your clubs, win money, not real money, but just Nintendo money. Uh, You can look at player stats. You can use a training mode. You can watch replays of your finest golf moments. I don't recall that. I'm kind of curious how that works. And there's even the ability to save data on the cartridge. Uh, So this is definitely an upgrade from the original golf title on NES. The pullout poster for this issue has Super Spy Hunter on one side and then maps of the U.S., Japan, and U.K. golf courses in NES Open Tournament on the other side. Uh, So it's pretty cool. Up next, we have Daydreamin' Davey. Hail America took a step back in time, that is, when it made Daydreamin' Davey. It's new time-traveling adventure. 
11 action sequences take Davy from the Old West to medieval times and on back to ancient Greece. This is a really interesting game. We talked a little bit about this last episode. It piqued my interests. I'm not too sure about this one after reading this full feature. It looks a little rough around the edges, but it is Hal, who I believe followed this one up with Kirby. So can it really be that bad? Can this game really be that bad uh, if they just went on to release Kirby shortly after this? I'll probably dig in at some point just to check this one out. And if you've played Daydream and Davy, definitely let me know uh, if it's worthwhile. Uh, your recommendation might give me the push to go check it out. There's a Game Boy section in this issue covering the Hunt for Red October, Fortified Zone, and Super RC Pro-Am. Uh, coming soon for Game Boy, we have a new Mega Man, which is uh, based on the original Mega Man. And then we have Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I don't recall the Roger Rabbit for Mega Man, so I'm curious if that was any good. Now playing, we have Super Spy Hunter, the sequel to Sunsoft's Spy Hunter, uh, racing vehicular action. And then we have Faria, which is an RPG from Nexoft. We're going to move into our next section of Power Time, which is previews. Uh, Previews mostly consists of Packwatch, but we'll talk a little bit about some of the games that are featured. We have Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure. The game picks up where the first film ends. Uh, Kind of looks like Toe Jam and Earl style exploration uh, from the point of view that the camera sits at. Uh, Looks like an interesting game. I I don't remember playing this, but I was a big fan of Bill and Ted, the films. Uh, So I I might go back and check this one out as well. We have Over Horizon, a sci-fi shoot-em-up. Little Mermaid uh, from Capcom, uh, based on the Disney film. Another one of Capcom's Disney collaborations. Legends of the Diamond, which is a baseball game by Bandai. High Speed, uh... High Speed, which is a pinball title by Rare. Rockin' Cats, based on the cartoon Rockin' Cats. Pirates by Ultra Konami, based on a PC game. We have The Hook by ImageSoft, which is based on The Hook, the Steven Spielberg, Peter Pan film. And at some point, I guess the name of The Hook changed to Hook. Because, of course, that's the movie that we remember, Hook. Uh, With the advent of 16-bit, Sony Ubisoft is putting more emphasis on video game development and is rumored to have hired programmers from Capcom and CinemaWare. So a little bit about uh, Sony Imagesoft developing for the Super Nintendo. Defenders of Dynatron City by LucasArts, and this is a superhero adventure game. Uh, Very interesting title. Robin Hood, based on the Kevin Costner film, and McKids based on McDonald's, uh, the McDonald's franchise. Surprisingly good game, McKids. Uh, Super Rumors, we have uh, just a quick uh, flash around here. RoboCop 3, Railroad Tycoon, Lemmings, F-15 Strike Eagle, Mech Warrior, Sim City, Sim Earth, Final Fight, UN Squadron, Super Goals and Ghosts, Dimension Force. Uh, oh, and uh, it looks like Earthbound is no longer listed in the coming soon list. And our next segment of Power Time is That's So Retro. This is where I just kind of unearth the things that feel super 90s, super retro to me. And here it is. We have the very last Shed a Tear, Howard and Nestor comic, I believe. I don't believe we see Howard in any future comics uh, anytime soon, but I I can uh, certainly be wrong there. We'll uncover that as uh, as we move ahead. Howard and Nestor in The Lone Nestor Rides Again take on the Lone Ranger, certainly fitting uh, to describe Nestor as the Lone Nestor, uh, as he'll be going solo. It opens up with Nestor on a horse saying, I thought this thing came with four-heel drive. Uh, So you know where this comic's going. It's got that cheesy Nintendo humor, uh, super retro, and sad to see Howard and Nestor go. Uh, But of course, we'll continue to see Nestor in the future issues. 
In classified information, we have designed your own password for Mega Man 3. This is pretty cool. So it shows you how the password symbol actually works. So you can construct your own password based on uh, how many energy tanks you want to have, what enemies you want to have had beaten. Uh, so what weapons do you want to have uh, as well? And then uh, what enemy worlds you want to have had revisited as you're facing the Mega Man 2 bosses. Uh, so pretty cool to showcase kind of how the password system works. Moving along, we have another feature of That's So Retro in which we salute one of the Nintendo game counselors. So here we have Todd Westergreen. Uh, Todd became a game counselor in January of 1990. His hobbies include flying, skiing, jet skiing. His best NES accomplishment completed Blaster Master in 57 minutes. And his favorite NES game is Blaster Master. Uh, so Todd, we give you the Power Time Podcast salute. Thank you for your service. So I looked this up. The top 10 speedrun records today for Blaster Master are just under 30 minutes. Uh, so that's pretty impressive that Todd was able to do this in 57 minutes back in the day when speedrunning wasn't really a thing, wasn't nearly as competitive. And the next segment of Power Time Podcast is, are we having fun yet? And this is just all the fun little odds and ends that I picked up along the way of reading this issue. Uh, we have the mail for this issue, of course, where people uh, send in photos and send in letters to Nintendo Power. In this case, it's all about pets. Uh, so ye cats, dogs, birds, and turtles too. Well, we asked for it. We were stampeded with herds of mail. Birds, dogs, turtles, cats, bats, rats, gnats, and even a wildebeest were all entries in our pet request. Some of them are even better at Nintendo games than our, than their owners. Uh, so lots of images and uh, letters here about dogs and cats and birds and different animals that like to play games with their owners. Up next, we have Player's Poll. And Player's Poll was an opportunity for you to kind of send in a little card where you wrote your name and your address and a lot of different information about your playing habits, uh, the games that you own, the games that you wanted to own, uh, different survey questions. And Nintendo would use this, uh, pitch it as a contest, but they would use this to get a bunch of great data uh, on their readers and on their players. Uh, so it was really smart by Nintendo. And in this case, it is based around NS Open, uh, NES Open. Uh, this is the NES Open Extravaganza where you can win the grand prize, a real golf cart and two sets of clubs. There's an image here of a, a person in a very crude Mario costume. This is one of the crudest Mario costumes ever. Uh, if you are in the Discord server for Power Time Podcast, I dropped a, an image uh, of this uh, screenshot of this particular page because it's so funny. Uh, but it's Mario standing in front of a golf cart, presumably the one that you would win. There's a Mario decal on the windshield. And I love the thought that some, somewhere uh, someone here in this great world that we live in might have this actual Nintendo Mario Kart in their garage. Uh, here it says, give it to dad for Father's Day or keep it for yourself. Uh, but I, I just love this idea that this club car golf cart might actually be in someone's garage. Uh, if it is, that would be so amazing. We're going to start to wrap up today's episode. And as always, we do so by looking at the top 10 games on Game Boy and the Nintendo Entertainment System as listed in this issue. We'll start with Game Boy. Uh, the top 10 games we have at number one, Super Mario Land. Number two, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan. Number three, Dr. Mario. Number four, Final Fantasy Legend. Number five, Tetris. Number six, Castlevania. Number seven, Paperboy. 
Number eight, Gargoyles Quest. Number nine, Operation C. And number 10, Alleyway. For the Nintendo Entertainment System, we'll just do the top 10 of the top 30. We have at number one, TMNT 2, the arcade game. So there's definitely an appetite for this type of kind of side-scrolling beat-em-up. And uh, Battletoads is poised to fill uh, to, and Battletoads is poised to compete a bit with that. Number two, we have Super Mario Brothers 3. Number three, we have Mega Man 3. Number four, we have Final Fantasy. Number five, we have Star Tropics. Number six, we have The Simpsons. Bart vs. The Space Mutants. I despise that game. Number seven, we have Crystallis. Number eight, we have Dr. Mario. Number nine, we have Dragon Warrior 2. And number 10, we have Tetris. And in the next formal episode of Power Time, we will be covering Robin Hood, Bill and Ted, Rock and Cats, and even more Super Nintendo Entertainment System. We have a Super NES software preview. And then finally, to end this issue, we have a letter from Howard Phillips. I'm going to read this to you. Dear readers, the big news for me is that I'm leaving Nintendo Power and Nintendo of America, Inc. to become executive producer of video games and learning products at Lucasfilm. I've been with NOA for 10 great years and I'll miss it, but I'm by no means hanging up my bow tie. Moving to Lucasfilm is a great opportunity for me to pursue my interests in video game development. Since I've evaluated game packs at Nintendo for many years, moving on to development is a logical step that will have me more involved with video games than ever. You can keep up with what I'm doing at Lucasfilm by reading Nintendo Power. After all, it includes the best information about what's happening in the world of video games. I know that I'll keep my subscription up to date. I've already sent in my $15 and my new address to make sure that I'll get the player's guides too. Play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. Signed, Howard Phillips. I love that there's been an amicable split between Nintendo of America and Howard Phillips. Of course, he uses this opportunity to pitch the $15 annual subscription to Nintendo Power so that you get the player's guides, Uh, but I love this letter. I love this salutations. Play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. Uh, Really fantastic. I might actually start closing out the show uh, with that instead of keep on playing with power just because I love it so much. Um, but yes, we're going to close out this episode. I want to thank you so much for your time uh, hanging out with me. Uh, I'll cover the featured music that we listened to. Uh, first, we heard Mega Beardo uh, with the intro to Battletoads. We also heard uh, Playing With Power uh, doing the intro as well. Then we heard a couple of tracks from In Rudiment, also covering Battletoads. I'm going to drop links in the show notes so you can check all this out and more at powertimepodcast.com slash 2525. Uh, so check that out and definitely support these artists. Every time I play a song on this episode that was done by an original artist, uh, I pay for that music. I think it's important uh, and I definitely encourage everyone to uh, support the artists who are just continuing to make great music after great music. And finally, Power Time Podcast is brought to you proudly by listeners like you and your ongoing support by subscribing, listening, and leaving quick and honest reviews on Apple Podcasts or your app of choice. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope that you did, please leave a quick review and let me know what you think. There's a couple of reviews that I'm going to read next episode. I definitely appreciate some of the recent reviews that came through. Power Time is also brought to you by early adopting patrons like Jessica and my mom. My mom doesn't even listen to the show, but I want to thank her and Jessica uh, for supporting, uh, helping me to, again, 
uh, take that money and put it into hosting the show and put it into purchasing the music and supporting artists. So there's been a lot of controversy with Patreon, and I shared my thoughts on that last episode uh, about their recent fee changes. You'll know if you listened that I was ready to kind of cut my ties with Patreon. And since then, they've apologized and rolled back those fee changes, or they never actually released them. So I'm going to keep Patreon paused for this current month. Uh, so there will not be uh, a, a charge for patrons this current month. Uh, and I don't know if you can even sign up this current month, uh, mostly because I haven't been producing steady content this month, just with the holidays and work and all these different things that are going on. Uh, but I'm going to reconsider how I want to move ahead in 2018 as a Patreon creator and how I can set up really great opportunities for you to support the show uh, and uh, get involved with the Power Time community. But nonetheless, I want to say props and thank you to all the current patrons. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, and the absolute best way that you can support the show right now is completely free. It has nothing to do with Patreon or PayPal or anything. That is to simply share Power Time with a friend or family member who might dig it. Uh, it's 100% free to share the show. If there's a social network or a community message board, Reddit, uh, where you think somebody might enjoy Power Time the same way that you're enjoying it, definitely share that. I would greatly appreciate it. You can interact with me in the Power Time community through Twitter by tweeting me at YoPowerTime. You can hang out in the Discord server, as I mentioned earlier, at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Discord, uh, where we have some healthy discussions from time to time about Nintendo and other consoles. Uh, we also like to share some fun screenshots and discoveries uh, that I discover as I'm researching the issues. Uh, there's a lot of fun things, and it's always fun just to take a quick screenshot and drop it in there. Uh, I get a kick out of it, of course. Uh, and then finally, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter. You can get access to a private Facebook group at powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked if you want to do that. That's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, a lot of uh, blabbering there. So thank you for sticking with me. Uh, thank you as always for your time and attention. It's been a crazy holiday season. I hope that you're having an equally crazy but enjoyable time as well uh, as we head into uh, the middle of the winter. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a couple of uh, non-issue episodes the next couple of weeks, just because I know that with the holidays, it's going to be busy for me and my family and my job. Uh, so I'm going to do some fun stuff. Uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, the next episode, which will be on Tuesday, will be the interview with CJ, uh, Chris Johnston. And then after that, uh, I'm going to do something interesting that's going to involve streaming on Twitch. Uh, so if you're interested, keep an ear out for that and I'll have more details. And then the following week, uh, I think I'm going to try to have a community episode where I'm going to do another question of the week like I did in the summer of streaming and uh, share some community answers. So definitely stay tuned for next episode. And as always, keep on playing with power. Uh, but I will sign off today by saying play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. Thank you so much for listening.